monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Andrew Rahman about what to do when the C-suite executive isn't doing their job. Andrew Rahman, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Where are you joining us from today? John, I'm calling in from Arlington, Virginia. Yes, I love Arlington. I love that whole area. Anytime I go back there to visit, uh, it's it's just wonderful, beautiful place. Uh, Obviously, Arlington Cemetery is, is amazing. Uh, but so many other great places around there too. So wonderful. Uh, I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Great to be with you joining us uh, from the East Coast. And today we're going to be talking about what to do when C-suite executives aren't doing their job. And maybe that seems a little strange to people. You're like, well, you're you're at that level. Of course, you're doing your job. Of course, you're good at your job. Of course, you're accomplishing great things. Um, but I think we probably all have experienced that that's not always the case. And what do you do with that uh, when when you have someone in a high profile, high authority, high power position who actually is detracting from the organization, its mission, its vision, and what you're trying to accomplish to bring value to the market? Uh, this can be a really, really tricky thing. So this is what we'll be exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Andrew's bio with everybody. Andrew Rahman is a co-founder of Blue Spark, a coaching and leadership development organization focused on enterprise learning. He is a senior organizational development consultant with extensive executive coaching and leadership development experience with industry expertise to support leadership and organizational learning programs in a wide range of industries. Andrew provides key strategic planning and facilitation, leadership development, executive coaching, assessments, organizational and cultural transformation implementation, and executive onboarding and acculturation. And I could go on and on, but I'll pause there. Anything else, Andrew, that you would like to share with me or my audience before we dive on in? Well, John, thank you so much. Uh, We actually share something in common, you and I. We both uh, teach at universities. I also teach at American University, where I uh, teach uh, graduate school in, in leadership, organizational change, organizational diagnosis, teams, 
So I prefer to say I'm not an academic, I'm a pracademic. I take theory and turn it into <laughs> practice. So a new term for us today is pracademic. And the other area that I teach at the American universities in their executive education programs, so senior leaders, when they come in, yeah. they want to get to the next level or they're anticipating a new role for themselves and for instance, in the senior executive service. Yeah, wonderful. And great, great university that you're at. Uh, I like pracademic. That's a great term. I always uh, refer to myself as a scholar practitioner. You know, I, I'm trying to get out of the ivory tower and and really do work that hopefully um, can be leveraged and utilized, you know, by many, uh, regardless of their background. And we all know that, you know, the academic space, it's important. And I'm a believer in the academic endeavor. I'm a believer in academic research. I do plenty of that. Um, but the vast majority of people never consume that kind of um, content, right? right? And if you want your your stuff to actually get out there and make a difference in the world, I think going the practitioner route and translating research into a practi- practitioner um, kind of focused materials, I think is super important. So that's certainly something I believe in and I try to do. I know that you do as well. Uh, so again, a pleasure to be with you and I'm excited to to pick your brain a little bit and learn more about what it's like uh, in your work, uh, doing leadership development and coaching with senior executives and leaders in organizations. Sure. Thank you very much, John. So let's start with your background in executive coaching and leadership development. Um, how did you get into the space? Why is this something you've gravitated towards? Um, maybe share an example or two of the types of things that you've worked with, uh, leaders on. Sure. So I did not grow up in the academic environment in the sense of, uh, the work that I did, I actually, my undergraduates in geology, my master's degree is in environmental engineering. And I came to study uh, in my doctorate later on in life. And my focus on my doctorate was around coaching. So it's in organizational learning. So organizational leadership, teams, change, facility. In the first part of my career, uh, which it took me all over the world, I was in the State Department and I was a foreign service officer. And I saw things there and how people interacted with their staff members, with other people, and the results they, 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 they got from that. And when I came back to the States after being really away for almost 16 years, but in and out, I started to take some courses and I was able to then start putting words to what I saw. And it was very intriguing. And I had a natural, natural desire for questions, for curiosity. And that led me through uh, coursework into the executive coaching space and then furthering that into a doctorate in organizational learning and leadership. And I've used that for the last 12, 15 years now. I've worked for uh, one of the largest firms in the United States in leadership development, certainly one of the top five. And as I mentioned, uh, at American University and then also in-house. And Blue Spark was born from that with my partner, Kim Villeneuve, who also has her doctorate in organizational learning uh, and was focused on uh, recruiting at the very senior levels of an organization. So we were able to meld both of our practices and our understandings to create a new spark. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that background. It's, I don't have the foreign service experience, (laughs) Um, but it sounds like our, our, uh, our proclivities are, are similarly matched, uh, you know, in terms of our interests and, and the background in this space is uh, our work um, both in a, in an academic kind of a setting and a, 
a practitioner or consulting kind of a setting. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly in terms of organizational leadership, organizational development, change management, and all of those sorts of topics. Uh, so this is fantastic. Thank you again for being with me. And let's dive on in to the conversation more specifically around what to do when your CEO, your C-suite executive, when you're really, I suppose, any leader or manager um, at any level of the hierarchy within the organization, when they're really not doing their job, when things just aren't working out the way everyone had hoped, how do you handle that? What do you do with that? Yeah, it's it's a phenomenon that happens at all levels of the organization, really from first-time individual contributors that now have a supervisor, all the way up to the C-suite. And we, we've all heard that saying, people don't leave companies, they leave their managers. And a manager, whatever level, if they're not doing their job, I, I tend to think about that as being somewhat of a toxic boss. And I characterize a toxic boss as a leader who uses their authority to undermine their direct reports, success, their career growth, and even their happiness. So we know some toxic bosses are overpowering, micromanaging. We also know that some are tuned out, that they don't come to the table uh, offering direction at all. So when I think about the toxic boss, yes, this is one of them. There are others, as I said, they take credit for your work. They they're interested in their own uh, career goals. Uh, they may even gossip. But this one then is around being an anemic leader, which is to say they offer no personal or functional direction at all. They don't lead or manage at all. And so the effects are really quite profound. I mean, an absentee boss like this can lead to feelings of anxiousness and fear. You arrive at work and you don't really want to go in. It feels like you're in a boat without a rudder and a sail. It leads to stress, no productivity. You become busy, but you're really not productive. It was Daniel Pink that wrote that the book Drive, and we look for self-mastery, a sense of purpose, a sense of autonomy. It's stressful when you don't have that. It's a human need to want to feel some level of value for yourself. It ends up with feelings of alienation. You're isolated. You're lonely. You're sitting in your office. Ultimately, no satisfaction whatsoever. Uh, We want to believe in making an impact. All of it then starts to really wrap itself around self-worth. And it can hurt both at a personal level and an organizational level. I once worked with this, uh, well, I've worked with a number of them, but one that comes to my mind, this person I worked with, uh, just for the sake of the conversation, John, I'll call him Mike. He was a senior director in a almost a billion dollar firm that had an, a global arm. So it has quite, quite heavy responsibilities for where he was. His boss was a senior VP, so of procurement of all things. And his boss provided no goals for the unit, no direction, and was professionally, personally, and affectively, emotionally absent. In that scenario, when there were meetings, they were very transactional about what, what, was, what were people doing and digressed to talking about other people. 
not surprisingly, this lack of a common North Star, not only for Mike, but for Mike's peers, left pretty much everyone feeling disoriented, rudderless, if you will. Mike felt dissatisfied in his team, aligning with others, and with real no support. So we, we entered into a coaching relationship. Regrettably, it was at one of those points where we'd reached the tipping point, and after spending time with them, there really was no other way for him to go but to leave and go on to something greater. But he learned a lot from the, from the experience itself that caused a number of really great conversations around critical self-reflection and his own growth as a leader. So that, that's, uh, that's what I think about when I think about the toxic or the boss. And this is one element, the effect it has on, on people. Yeah. And I, and I think about on the one hand, you have a toxic boss, the jerk boss, uh, you know, the one that just creates a really unhealthy environment. Um, and then that's one sort of toxicity, I suppose. And then another form of toxicity is just the absent boss, the one mm-hmm. who, and that's kind of sounds like what you were just describing, the one who just really isn't fully invested. Uh, you, you use the word rudderless, uh, really not helping everyone have a common understanding of what they're trying to achieve, holding people accountable, just not doing the things that leaders are supposed to do. Right. Um, And then you have the ineffective senior leader. Uh, Maybe they have good intentions. They're there, they're involved, they're present. They're not a jerk. They just don't know how to do it (laughs) and they're not effective. And I suppose that, that, you know, when someone is like that, but they're teachable, that's where, coaching and leadership development actually has its best chance of really taking hold, I think. Right. You used a great phrase there earlier, you know, bosses, what are they supposed to, what are they supposed to do? They're not doing the things they're supposed to do. And we often think about, we ask people, and I'm sure you've done this in your, in your practice too, John, you've asked people, well, what are those attributes of leadership? And we hear things that describe a person emotionally intelligent, uh, they, they're resilient. They have interpersonal skills. They build teams. Then if we move the conversation just a little bit further, we ask, well, what is the outcome of monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone? AWG, where innovation meets monetization. Their leadership. When we think about leaders that are aspiring, what is the outcome we want from them? What is the outcome we want from the C-suite? And I think it can, and so oftentimes there's a bit of a, uh, hmm, let me think about that question for a moment. And then there's this, well, really one way to think about the outcome of leadership, especially if we espouse that leadership happens at all levels, is three things. The first is that an outcome of leadership is to create a vision and a direction for the team. This requires the ability to manage a relationship between the organization and understand what's happening outside the organization. So leaders in this this particular outcome have to be able to kind of scan, see what's in the environment. They have to be able to create a vision that affectively gets people connected to it. People see themselves in this vision. They have to be able to understand multiple perspectives within the organization. The second thing I think an outcome of leadership is after you create the vision and the direction is to align people to that. In other words, our team members and the functions working in concert with one another 
in moving in the same direction. A metaphor to me is we're all in a boat. Are we all pulling the oars at the same pace in the same direction? Do we understand how each of the functional areas in an organization really works together? So a leader then that is not anemic or uh, checked out would be fostering uh, cross-functional interactions that create perspectives. They'd be creating alignment by setting priorities that everybody sees. They would be helping their staff members network with others. The third thing I think of an outcome of leadership is garnering commitment. And that's where interpersonal relationships comes in. So they're gaining buy-in to the organizational goals. They're gaining buy-in to senior leaders and to each other. So leaders then build trust with themselves and foster trust amongst colleagues. They connect people and show that they actually care and they keep people informed. So your original question, what to do, you know, with a leader that's, uh, that's absent, we think about then what is the purpose of leadership in the sense of an outcome of leadership and in those three areas around creating direction creating alignment, creating commitment, all of a sudden we see this, uh, this coalescing of functions that leaders do. And when they don't get done, then really it can lead to those areas of, wow, isolation, of the rudderlessness. Uh, am I in this for myself? Uh, almost um, the lack of engagement, which we know is a, is a very important topic and has been for years. Uh, for, for members, lead people yeah. leave their managers, not their organizations. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, I've done a lot of research in this space. In addition to the, you know, the the many, many, I mean, hundreds of conversations and engagements I've had with organizations in this space as well. From the academic research side of things, yeah, it, uh, there's no question that workplace relationships are always among the top reasons why people are engaged and happy in their jobs or why they're disengaged, dissatisfied and choose to leave. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and the reality is you can have a pretty sick, toxic organization, but if you have a really great boss that you report to, and that can create a little bubble in your team yeah. to where you're kind of insulated from all the other garbage that might be happening. And so yeah. you're probably still fairly happy. You know, people tend to be still be okay in that kind of an environment. Um, and so the leader makes all the difference. The opposite is also true. It can be the most amazing organization in the world. People love working there. You know, there's, it's a great thing for you to be able to work at that company, but then you work for a crappy boss just because it's a great company, just because generally speaking, it's a great place to work. Doesn't mean your experience in the workplace is positive because of that boss, that person that you work with, or perhaps other people on the team. And so those relationships are really so central to our daily experience and how we experience work and how we get our work done and, and work with each other and collaborate with each other. So we need present leaders. We need leaders who are invested in us. Uh, all the things that you just described, all the things you just said are super, super important. And it comes back to then when you have the toxic leader or the absent leader, how do you deal with that? You know, one of the phenomenons that I find so baffling um, is to just continually see bad leaders falling upwards. 
Uh, and it, so oftentimes, instead of people kind of being weeded out because they're problematic, um, because they're not really effective, because they're not accomplishing a lot with you know either themselves or with their teams, rather than people being exited from the company, a lot of times I see them being promoted and they actually move up the hierarchy uh, or they go in some sort of a lateral move somewhere else. And that that's always strange to me. Uh, what kind of insights do you have around why that's happening uh, and what we can do about that so that we can have, you know, good people doing great work, um, accomplishing, you know, and achieving their potential, but helping the people around them achieve their potential as well. Yeah, John, that's a really good insight. So people do get promoted when you just like you're left scratching your head. How did this happen here? What I find also kind of interesting about that in, in that promotion is that it actually creates an opportunity for other people, believe it or not. And I think that opportunity comes to uh, that laissez-faire boss, if you will, that has moved up, then leaves an opportunity for someone to do something. I think there's five things that this person can do with this. First, John, is to actually have a really honest appraisal of themselves. I call it holding up the mirror to yourself, looking at yourself and talking with your peers around the experiences that you're having. The first part of that experience isn't to blame your manager, it's to say, hey, what's going on for me here? How am I showing up in in my meetings? How could I be even more effective at my meeting? Then it's to explore our other peers having the same experience with the manager. This is really, really good feedback because it's part of the opportunity. The second part of it is being savvy and being specific. Savvy is not blaming your boss. Savvy is around socializing with your boss that you'd like to get some time with him or her, 45 minutes or so, versus springing it on having that conversation in a neutral area, not in their office, knowing that you are there not to blame, but to understand the issue. And so there are very specific things that can be done here. One is the best type of feedback is to link a behavior to an impact. So savvy is being able to link the person's behavior to the impact it's having on you and the results it's having on the organization. So, That's not about blame. That's about just creating a data point. Then it becomes about being specific, making clear requests of the boss. First of all, who wouldn't want a direct report that wouldn't be willing to come to the table to be able to say, let's talk about my roles, my responsibilities, what your desired outcomes are for me, and then this part. What What are your specific uh, latitudes, your boundaries on decision-making, making very clear about what you can and cannot do, then making clear requests of what you need to accomplish your goal. So if we have a, a leader that's checked out, in other words, it's he, he or she is abdicating his role, coming forward with a plan is really, really useful. The third part then is step into the void. And this is where my earlier example of Mike, who was in this similar position, he did step into a void. 
nature, people abhor a vacuum in a relationship. So this is an opportunity to grow. And the growth comes from what is it that we want our leaders to do for us? One is to understand the vision of the organization. With this vision is what are the goals of the organization, both at an enterprise level and then at a functional level, so a divisional level. Get clarity on how those functional goals all wrap up to support an organizational goal. Step out. Develop the line of sight for people that don't quite see it. So if we have a North Star, then the functional goals need to align to that North Star. And if we go down one layer or two layers below that, people need to be able to see, how do I fit into these functional goals? Be willing to talk about that. And keep your boss in, uh, informed about that. I think the fourth thing where I think there's an opportunity for someone that's in this position is develop your network. People with networks get access to information. They hear about change first, and consequently, they can react to that change and develop and develop personal resilience. By working on your own internal network, you get mentors and you get sponsors. One thing about networks is it's almost like the old-time Rolodex. How many people are in your Rolodex? It's the opposite side is what do you give into that network? What energy are you pumping into that network yourself? Make it a point to reach out to people in the network and get perspective. And I think, John, the last thing that people do in this scenario is really to be honestly, be prepared to look somewhere else. At some point, you will have done all you can. And Linda Gratton, who who writes uh, for Harvard Business Review and is a professor at the London Business School, she famously said, asked, says these, there are two questions that you have to ask. One is, am I working in a place that keeps me healthy? The second is, healthy both being psychologically safe and emotionally and physically safe, right? Professionally. And the second part is, am I working in a place where I'm continuously learning? If you're not learning, then you're basically just in kind of status quo. So as I think about your question, like what to do about that boss that's been up there and why do they get up there? Tough question to answer. The real meat then is what does the person do that's being affected by that? The feelings of loneliness, the feelings of rudderlessness, uh, no sale. Put your hand on the till. Put your hand on the motor. Create that flywheel for yourself and for your peers to do, to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, Andrew. And I really like the way you articulated that and broke that down. So many things for us to consider. And the reality is we just scratched the surface. This is a really perplexing question. I know it's one that a lot of senior leaders uh, struggle with. I know it's one that a lot of uh, individual contributors within organizations struggle with as they see this phenomenon happen within organizations. Uh, I think you've provided us some really great food for thought as we try to wrestle with how to to approach this. I note the time. I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute. But before we wrap up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with my audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, John, thank you very much. So Blue Spark, uh, you introduced us as uh, someone creating customized leadership development programs for future-focused organizations that are committed to learning and development. 
that supports strategic growth, the succession pipeline, and the future of the organization. We started Blue Spark because we believe there are four business imperatives that are shaping how we do our work. The first one is, is that organizations have a need for ongoing leadership learning. It's a cultural imperative now. There is no organization where it's the single leader. It's the team. Even last week in a meeting, a senior VP said to his team, the team has the power, not just me. The second thing is around Blue Spark, that is that our work is focused on developing sustainable leadership pipelines. And those pipelines have to be connected to organizational goals. And people have a sense of, uh, I have empowerment, I have mastery, I'm moving the needle. It's associated with their work and the goals for it. So Blue Spark does, does coaching, uh, both one-on-one, but our preference is really around the enterprise coaching. We do collaborative learning experientials with people. We believe in the rising tide lifts all boats. And then we develop assessments for intact teams and senior leadership and uh, individuals to help them understand how they're showing up. So uh, the la- so they can contact us. We have a uh, website, bluespark.com, and we have a LinkedIn page, uh, Bluespark. Uh, you asked, you know, for our, our the last words, if you will. So, If you find yourself with an absentee boss, a laissez-faire, the unfortunate truth is that they probably won't make the situation better for you by being direct. You will have to make decisions for yourself. You can do that by accepting the scenario and then understanding there are five things that you can do, especially the part about filling the void. Use the opportunity to develop your own leadership skills. And then at some point, understand that you'll be moving on, that you will have done something great for yourself, those people around you, uh, and your, and, uh, the, your direct reports. You will be showing the leadership, creating a direction, aligning people to it, and fostering Wonderful. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Andrew and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Make this Christmas memorable with Goat Guns. Get the coolest miniature gun models for your collection. From historical classics to modern weapons, we have something for every firearm and hobby enthusiast. Surprise your loved ones with the gift of Goat Guns. The perfect blend of quality and detail. Shop now and spread the joy at GoatGuns.com.